gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Hey, welcome to this week's podcast. This week, I have my good friend Brad Heidel of Delta Waterfowl on, and Brad and I are going to talk about the upcoming waterfowl season. Brad, we're about five weeks out. I am excited. I am as well. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this upcoming teal season. Um, I think I told you a while back that I hadn't participated in that teal season in the past. It just didn't feel like duck hunting to me. It was hot. And I was like, man, there's, there's better things to do. It's still summer. And uh, I participated in that season to about two years ago for the first time. And I don't think I'll miss it again. It's an absolute ball. So for those of you who have not participated in the early teal season, you really need to get out there and give it a whirl because it's, it can be some really fast action. And, uh, and yeah, my favorite uh, duck to shoot at is teal. It, they are so fast. They're called the M6, the, the F16 of uh, ducks. And we have a, a cool property and a cool area hunting around in my area where I've got a couple of areas that are large mud flats. And you pretty much only see, see teal. Uh, in Wisconsin, everyone always worries about wood ducks uh, being mixed in. And I didn't have that problem on the choice areas that I hunt. Right. Um, and you could easily tell the difference between teal and any other duck because these teal, uh, are, they're typically coming in a flocks of 15, 20, 30, 40. It's unbelievable. I can, I can tell you this. We had a flock come in and we took six, we took eight shots and we had 14 teal down in the decoys dead. It's, it was, it's just unbelievable. People, if you haven't tried it, get out and do it. Yeah. Last year we had, uh, we had some pretty good hunts. I took all people out that had never hunted before. So we, we shot 10 and 10 on two of those days and, uh, the folks I was with had not really shot a whole lot of birds. We let them shoot their first bird on the water, and then we're having them shoot in the air. And, you know, when you're not filming, it's really fun because when people miss, it's not as big a deal. You just kind of get to make fun of people. <laughs> oh, be nice. <laughs> oh, I, they were younger than me. So, of course, I'm getting the old guy comments anyway. So, you got to fight back a little bit. Fair enough. You do. You do. Uh, you know, I have a question for you. Why is it when I think of ducks, I always think the smallest ducks would migrate first. Why is it that green wing teal are always after blue wing teal? Um, I don't have a good answer for you. I don't. They're just they are a different duck and uh, each duck does its own thing. Um, I'm not I'm not a scientist and I'm not going to pretend to be. So I, I, I don't have a good answer for you. But it is certainly the blue wing teal that they go through well before the green wing teal go through yeah i didn't shoot any green wing or see any green wing last year during teal season they seem to come through our area where i hunt probably mid to uh mid to late october yeah mid to late october we're still shooting green wing teal up in manitoba and good numbers. yeah i've shot yeah that's crazy isn't it it is it is 
So what is the waterfall season looking like as a whole? You know, I think it should be an excellent waterfall season. And, and I'm, I'm always going to be optimistic when it comes to the waterfall season, because um, whether there's a million ducks or 10 million ducks, um, we still get to go out and go duck hunting and do what we love. Um, so I'm always going to be optimistic about it. Um, one of the things that occurred this year that has not happened since 1955 is that the U.S. Fish and Wild Service, Wildlife Service uh, had to cancel their BPOP or Breeding, breeding Population Survey. Um, like I said, it hasn't happened since 1955. And this is typically what they use to set season dates, bag limits, et cetera, and put those guidelines in place. And so you'd, you'd have to ask yourself, well, how are they going to do that this year, right? I mean, being as they didn't fly the survey? Correct, yep. Yep, well, the, the news here is that they actually use last year's survey results to set this year's guidelines. So Okay, that so, makes sense. Yeah, so, so we're good for this year. The bigger question might be is what are they going to do next year? <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's, well, hopefully all this garbage is done and uh, we're, we're on to a normal life by next year and they can do their survey and, and pull the results from that. Well, that, that will only be for the following year then. We'll, we'll have a gap in there somehow that we'll be able to fill. Um, um, it's not rocket science. It's just duck science. So we should be able to make it work. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, our area in Wisconsin, south on the Mississippi Flyway, it's been pretty much high water, my goodness, for probably the last two or three years, coming from a guy that owns uh, pretty much all swamps, which is me. I'm like an ogre. And uh, like that Shrek. has led, yeah, Shrek, that, is, that has led to, in my opinion, more difficult hunting because the birds have lots of options. So it's you, you really, really got to scout and, and you're going to struggle on, on days because birds if they see anything out of out of line they'll go somewhere else but also it's got to give a lot of habitat for uh nesting birds to help the population that way yeah there is a lot of water in in certain areas and you know that's a big part of the success of the breeding population of ducks um hunters have a very very minimal um effect on duck populations what affects duck populations are going to be habitat, weather, and natural predators, which are going to be skunks, raccoons, um, possums, snakes, foxes, etc. And then, of course, your um, your avian predators, your hawks, your owls, and things like that. Ravens are another big problem. Um, so the more water we have, it spreads out those breeding ducks. And there's just not one confined space where a predator can go to for the buffet. They have to hunt a little bit harder and ducks can hide a little bit better. So this year, what, what we're seeing, because, um, because uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has not been able to fly their survey this year, um, North Dakota actually flew a survey this year. And they saw an 18% increase in waterfowl production this spring, which is very exciting. Um, South Dakota, um, we're seeing some similar conditions there as well, as far as uh, um, the breeding conditions. So there's a lot of water in South Dakota. There's a lot of water in North Dakota, um, which is great for making ducks. 
what I can tell you is Saskatchewan is still dry, um, extremely dry. Um, Saskatchewan typically produces a pile of ducks. So you get up into the boreal forest, etc. you're still seeing some good water up there. That's where you're seeing some nesting of, of more of some divers and things like that. But as far as, uh, you know, puddle ducks, which are going to be your, your gadwalls, your teal, your mallards, etc. Um, Saskatchewan is pretty dry for those ducks right now. You're seeing that in western Manitoba, uh, but Alberta is actually uh, pretty fair condition. So um, keep your fingers crossed yeah. that North Dakota, South Dakota continue to produce continue to produce a pile of ducks yet this year. Yeah, Saskatchewan's been dry. I remember I was up there like three years ago and it was dry. So it's they, I guess we're getting all the rain here in uh, Wisconsin South as opposed to uh, their rain for up there. We are, and we're getting plenty of rain here in Wisconsin, plenty of rain in Minnesota as well. Um, and people, people aren't, people aren't aware, but Minnesota is actually a, a pretty darn good um, area for duck breeding also. Those, that western part of the state is really is the beginning and part of the prairie pothole region. Well, I know it's exciting for Wisconsin. We always had a one uh, hen limit on, on mallard hens, and uh, they actually made it two this year. Not that you want to shoot hens, but for, for, for people that are out, if they don't get out a lot, you want them to have an opportunity to take a bird. And that must mean that our population in Wisconsin is doing much better that they would raise it could because I don't know the last time it was where you could shoot two hens as opposed to uh, one, and it's out of four four mallards. So you can now shoot two hens and two drakes as opposed to three and one. Yep, and you, you know um, the the population on mallards in Wisconsin is good. Um, I like the the two hen uh, limit because I think the vast majority of waterfowl hunters. Um, are out there and, and they really are trying to shoot drakes. They are. Um, however, mistakes happen. And if you, if the first duck you shoot out of the blocks in the morning, when it's a little darker out and it's hard to identify um, exactly what, uh, not, not so much species of duck, but what um, sex the duck is, um, you have a backup. You don't have to. You don't. You don't have to be so concerned about shooting that next duck, and violating because none of us want to do that. So it kind of is a. It's a nice cushion. Um, if you were to, if the first duck out of the blocks you pulled down was a was a hen mallard, do you have a nice cushion, just in case? Yeah, and I I think the shaming of people where where people are are, are getting on people about taking a maybe not a Drake. I've always been against that because. In theory, or in reality, most guys probably shoot a handful of ducks a year. They they don't get out much. They're busy. They don't have time to scout, and they're 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 only taking a handful. Uh, your guys that are your real ardent hunters, those are the ones that I think are definitely making sure that they're they're uh, trying to 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 shoot drakes only. But I know a couple of guys that my goodness, they hunted all year and they shot two birds. You, you want them to at least have an opportunity so they don't leave the sport. I would agree. And, and like I mentioned earlier, hunters do not have a drastic effect on duck populations. Now, speaking of opportunity, you were talking to me a little while ago about a college program that you have uh, through Delta Waterfall that is honestly pretty cool. 
Yeah, um, it is. It's one of my favorite programs within the organization, and that's uh, what we call it. It's our university hunt program. And Jeff, if you recall, when you and I were growing up, I'm 50 now, 53 years old, so I'm an old guy. But when I was growing up, everybody that went into whether it was wildlife biology or to go be a conservation officer, something in that field, every single one of them hunted and fished, right? Absolutely. Every single one of them hunted and fished. And now what we're what we have learned is that just a little bit more than 30% of those people going into those fields now hunt and fish. That's amazing. I did not know that. It's, it's crazy. And so what we're doing as an, as an organization is we are going into these schools that have these wildlife programs and we're putting on first hunt programs for those students who wish to go hunting and learn a little bit more about the, the, the profession they're getting into. And we're taking them out and show them the whole works. We're taking them out to the range. We're taking them through their hunter safety program. We are actually taking them out on their first hunt and they've always been successful so far. So we've taught them, uh, we've taught them how to clean their game and we've also showed them how to cook their game and then they eat it. It's, it's awesome. And these are the people that are going to be making the decisions in the future as to regulations, bag limits, et cetera, who have no idea why we as hunters do what we do. And we are the people paying their bills, paying their paycheck. We're, we're there, we are their salary. So this gives them a better idea on, on who hunters are and why we are so passionate about what we do. So when they are making those decisions in the future, they got a better idea about the effects that they're going to have. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great program. I uh, I I know as far as the follow the money uh, thought process, I try to educate people on our Sporting Dog Adventures page on where money for conservation comes from and almost all of it comes from hunters and that's what people don't realize people that watch birds or people that hike on properties they're paying little to nothing to be on there which is fine they're enjoying the property they're getting outside I'm, I'm not against that but people have to realize that the reason that our waterfall population our, our deer population elk population turkey population all those populations are just exploding is because of all of the money that is being spent by hunters and with that we need to recruit more people so that our sport does continue to thrive and so that we continue to have healthy uh, wild populations. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. And, and, and it's not just the games, game species that benefit from these dollars that sportsmen are, are putting into these programs. It's, it's the non-game species as well the, you know, that benefit from the habitat, et cetera, the clean water, everything that we do as hunters. Um, you know, everything benefits from it. Um, I'm trying to think where I was well, going. Oh, I remember where I was going. Well, one second. is, uh, And I'm pretty sure it was the state of Colorado who just put this into law. But the, and like I said, I'm pretty sure it's the state of Colorado. But anyone using public trails and et cetera, anything that has to do with public um, parks, trails, biking, et cetera, in the state of Colorado now has to have a valid fishing or hunting license to be able to use those trails. That's, that's a fantastic that's, idea. 
that's something that we should put across the board in, in all 50 states. Yeah, that is, that is because people, I don't think they realize how, how many millions upon millions of dollars it takes to, to have habitat and keep it up, keep it up, up to date and expand it and how that affects. And in our, in our world where people pay attention to something for about a fleeting second, if you can at least make them do that, that will put where they have skin in the game and it helps everybody involved. Yeah, it, it does. It's, um, um, and, and unfortunately, you know, this is, this is something that I'm hoping is turning here, but you know, hunter numbers are going down. And if we have been on a path within our lifetime, we will see, we will have lost enough hunters within our lifetime where these agencies will not be able to be funded entirely by hunters and fishermen as they are now. So it's quite possible. Now you can talk about COVID and what, what, what's happening with COVID-19, et cetera. And, uh, and I think you've experienced this as well, but we're seeing a surge or a resurgence in hunters and fishermen. I think the state of Wisconsin has sold over a hundred thousand uh, more fishing licenses to date than they did in the year in the past. I can also tell you that I believe we had a record number of turkey hunters in the woods this year. From what I saw out turkey hunting, I'm telling you there's a record number of turkey hunters in the woods. There are turkey hunters everywhere where you weren't seeing them as much before. So people have a little bit more time with their, you know, work from home schedules, et cetera, or social distancing, however you want to look at it, to get out and take advantage of those opportunities that, you know, they may have missed in the past. Throw in the fact that they're, um, they're not a, or they're not taking their children to baseball practice, hockey practice, soccer practice, dance, what have you. They've, they've been given a lot more free time to go back and do those things that they love so much. It's pretty cool. Yep. Now we just got to figure out a way to keep them. Yeah. Last year, my goal was once I wasn't filming for the TV show was how can I make a difference? And I took myself uh, four different hunters out that had never hunted before and got them all their first duck. And that was during teal season. And it was, uh, it was nice because it's, it's, again, I had a couple of areas that we could get into that, uh, were only teal. So I, I could make sure that it was, uh, they, they were taking the right uh, quarry and also that it, it hopefully got them hooked. And I told them, I'm like, Hey, you're part of, you're part of camp. Now you got to come up and help work on stuff and work on the blinds. And then you can come back every year. So hopefully they come back this year. I know a few of them are, we're actually going up this weekend to work on stuff. I, I don't know. People probably don't realize you and I hunt together. Uh, hopefully, more this fall if, if we don't get uh, the high rate of water that we had the last few years and it's just a it's a great time to get out but you have to get more people out and recruit new people to the sport yep you do and you know as delta waterfall we've been putting on the largest youth waterfowl hunting uh program um in the in the country and i, I would even say north america where we're typically putting anywhere from 12 to 16,000 new hunters through our first hunt program in a yearly basis. And that's all done through our local chapters. Our volunteers are getting out and they're, they're drinking the Kool-Aid and they're taking, taking new kids out hunting. And it's a pretty, pretty neat deal. Need to Brad, be part if people of. want to find out more about Delta Waterfall, where would they go? 
Well, simply, obviously, you can go to www.deltawaterfowl.org. Um, we've got a, a pretty good website that can tell you a lot, tell you a lot more about our programs and what we do as an organization, whether it's predator management, whether it's duck production, whether it's hunter advocacy. Um, we are the number one advocate for duck hunters. Um, we are the duck hunters organization, and if it does not benefit duck hunters, we won't do it. So if you're a duck hunter, um, we'd love your support. Um, it's pretty easy to do. Um, go to deltawaterfowl.org, see who we are. If you like what you see, um, we'd love you to purchase a membership and support the organization. Well, Bradley, thank you so much for being on. You've you've uh, done your work this year helping with duck blinds, so you're, you're good on my property with that. And hopefully we can get together during teal season. I do appreciate it. Hey, sounds great. I'm happy to talk with you and your crew anytime. Take care, Brad. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye. And now stay tuned. After this message, we're going to have a great training tip for you. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. For this show's training tip, we're going to talk about healing and why it is so important for your dog in the field. You need to make sure that your dog is healing properly so that when they go on a retrieve, whether waterfall or if you're calling them in and letting, letting them take off from your side and upland, they have their spine in line to where they're going. This is called taking a line. And you don't want your dog to start out crooked because then they will bend back to where the line is. The thought process being you don't want them to bend and loop to the point where they're heading not straight at something. Because if they miss it, if they miss what they're looking for, they'll start to do a concentric hunt in circles like good dogs do. And if they're already heading in the wrong direction, if the wind's not at their advantage, they'll be out of the area of the fall or the retrieve. So you need to work with your dog in the off season where you're just working with them at heel changing directions, and keeping the dog so that they're healing with their spine in line of where your foot is pointing. To do this, you're going to use a short leash or a leash that's held uh, so that it's not real long and just work with the dogs on their obedience and on their healing where heal is meaning sit and sit right at your side. Work with them for a few weeks off and on during your, your training program with the dogs on this and you will be so much more successful in the field. You want to make sure, again, that your dog is taking off on a straight line with their spine in line of where they're going. And then what you can do is start working with double marked retrieves. So when the dog is bringing the first bird back in or the first bumper back in, you actually already have your toe pointed and your body set up for the next retrieve and make sure that the dog is doing the same. This will give you far more success when you're in the field and really help your dog find the down game. Hope that helps. Stay tuned for another quick message. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. The upcoming season is here. We're going to talk about your hunting tip now, and it's going to have to do with your dog. Work with your dog in a dog blind if you're going to have them in that in the field. I've seen too many people take their dogs out get them ready for the hunt and then try to get them to go into the dog blind and the dog either has been in it but not retrieved out of it or maybe has not even been in it before at all. 
If you don't have a dog blind, you want to make sure that your dog is going to be incredibly obedient, lay by your side, and allow you to put something over them, unless it's a chocolate lab or a brown dog or a dog that fits the background of, of what you're laying on. But overall, if you can get them into a dog blind, that is going to help you a ton. My personal preference is a dog blind that is closed in the back so that the dog can't just run through it. I also have two dog blinds that are zipped shut so it's like a crate. Again, it is nice having control of your dog where they're zipped in so that they can't break because if you're hunting out of a ground blind, the biggest danger for your dog is breaking in front of the people that are shooting. So again, work with them out of a dog blind, get them ready for the season. The time to do this is now. I also encourage people to use a dog blind even when you're working out of a boat so that the dog blind or the dog can be up on the bow of the boat, not behind the overall boat blind, and they can see the falls. These are just a couple of tips for your upcoming duck season. Hope you guys enjoy this show. Thank you so much for listening. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.